Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Company's podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each episode showcases one of Davy's certified arborists sharing advice with everyone about caring for your trees and landscapes. We'll talk about everything from introduced pests, seasonal tree care, deer damage, how to make your trees thrive, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. This week, I'm joined by Dan Blazer, a consulting arborist for the Davy Tree Expert Company located in New Berlin, Wisconsin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful fall day up here in Wisconsin. Uh, same here. We we had a cold front through yesterday, and 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 it definitely feels like fall today. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a a pretty important topic right now: salt tolerant trees. A lot of times when we're thinking about planting, as you know, we're cooling off. This is this is prime planting season, but there are some areas where you know, if you're close to the road, close to the uh, sidewalk, I wonder what you thought about that. Should should I be looking at a tree that can take the salt, or should I be looking at it from another standpoint where I, I'm just figuring out something else to put down close to that tree that's not going to hurt it, or we go both ways there. Absolutely. Uh, site selection. Um, many things that we can, you know, we consider a lot of things when we're planting trees, but uh, the planting site and the soil conditions uh, and proximity to road, you know, roadways and parking lots and stuff that receive salt, you know, is of course of consideration. And uh, there are several trees that we like to use, you know, in, the, in those locations that can tolerate drought, salt, you know, heavy clay soil, and, you know, what we call poor soil conditions. So if you do need to put something out there by the road that's going to get salt, what would be the first uh, couple trees that you would think about putting there? The The first ones that come to mind would be the hybrid elms, um, Dutch elm disease resistant uh, varieties of American elms that they've cultivated over the years. Uh, one is called uh, Princeton and the other is uh, known as the Triumph variety of hybrid elm. Uh, very salt tolerant. Uh, back before Dutch elm disease, American elms made such wonderful street trees because of their tolerance to the urban soil. And so unfortunately, Dutch elm disease took those out. But uh, your good hybrid elms are great. Uh, another one that comes to mind is a Kentucky coffee tree. Tell me about the Kentucky coffee tree, because I don't know a lot about it. Uh, Kentucky coffee tree is in the legume family, so kind of like your honey locust uh, or black locust. You know, they have um, leaflets with a, a main leaf stalk, so the leaf contains multiple leaflets. Um, native to, you know, kind of middle, middle America, kind of upper Mississippi Valley, um, Ozark Plateau, and are probably found native as far north as southern Illinois. Well, and Kentucky, of course. <laughs> um, they kind of have a, a honey locust appearance. Um, they're kind of they're kind of dainty at first. They're very stick-like looking from the beginning, but uh, they become very beautiful trees. They're not a very fast-growing tree, but they are in it for the long haul. Because, uh, I mean, there's some beautiful specimens that are 75 to 100 years old here in the Milwaukee area that 
just are are beautiful. You know, they don't get too huge, which is also great in an area near a road. You know, you don't want trees getting too too huge either. And is it just kind of their genetic makeup that, you know, like over year over the years, arborists have figured out like, okay, this one, this one, this one, just assault doesn't bother them as much as, as other trees. Yeah, that's one that I can't answer. Um, there's a, there's a lot of unknowns that go on in arbor culture um, or any science. Uh, all we can do is do what we know works based on trial and error. So after the Kentucky coffee tree, is there anything else you're thinking of that uh, would be a good choice? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you're looking for a maple, everybody loves their maple. Everybody loves fall color. Um, our native maples are not so tolerant to uh, urban soil. They're pretty tolerant, but not, not, not extremely. Um, but the Mayabi maple, um, also known as the State Street maple, is uh, a great combination of all the wonderful features in a maple that you could ask for. They do get a nice reddish fall color. Um, they're a medium, they have a medium growth rate, and they're also very tolerant to drought and tolerant to salt. And um, they're one of the better, most underrated maples that uh, they're not utilized as much yet as I think they should be. You know, I talked to a lot of arborists. That one has never come up. That's really interesting. And how big does it get uh, eventually when it's mature? Oh, there's a specimen at the uh, Chicago Botanical Garden that is gigantic. Um, so they can get pretty, pretty big, you know, at, le at least as, as good a size as a sugar maple. But, uh, you know, being introduced here, they haven't been, you know, they've only been planted for such a long time. So we don't, I guess we don't really know how long or well they're going to do here. But uh, the ones I've seen so far, so good. What else is on your list? Yeah, ginkgo biloba. Um, you see them a lot. You see them a lot in boulevards. They're really kind of a miracle tree. They're prehistoric in the fossil record. Uh, there's not many plants or trees that are found prehistoric in the fossil record. Um, so they did live through, you know, they're older than the dinosaurs basically, and not many trees are, but so they've stood the test of time. They um, don't have any real native or exotic pests that attack them. Um, and Good fall color too, right? Yeah. A nice gold, nice gold fall color. Absolutely. And they're, they're very, very pretty slow growing tree. So but you don't want one of the, what is it, males or females? What, what makes the fruit that everybody complains about? Oh, yeah, the males, yep. Uh, generally not around anymore in nursery stock. Uh, that's kind of an older older thing, but there is, every once in a while, ones pop up in the nursery. So, And they don't know how, but they, they show up, and they might not produce fruit for 15 or 20 years after they're planted. So you you might not know you have one until all of a sudden you get a bunch of these red, uh, awful smelling things falling all over the place. Then you'll know. Then you'll know, right? So, yep. Next tree, if you want to know a couple more. Honey locusts are also a great urban tree. Um, we don't use a lot of those because we want diversity in the urban forest as a whole. We don't want to have 
as we don't want to have more than 10% of any given species for resilience as a whole. So you have a lot of honey locusts planted all around the city, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so don't, we don't use a whole lot of those because they're in general, there's a lot of those already around. So makes good sense. Yeah. I grew up with one, you know, in the yard. And so I have a, a special affection to them, but you know, it's so important. I, I, again, talking to arborists, diversity is, is so important. When you talked about those elm trees, you know, uh, before Dutch elm disease, right, the, the roads were lined with elm trees. Uh, you know, before that, we go back to chestnuts. So always planting something different. And I, I hadn't heard the 10% rule. That's a great one. Yeah. I mean, and if you want to go over that, um, the mistakes that have been made in urban forestry over the years, um, the chestnut thing, absolutely, both native and ones planted Actually, ash here in our area, ashes have completely been wiped out. Oh, my goodness. I mean, absolutely. Uh, when the elms got knocked out, uh, a lot of the urban trees were replaced with Norway maple, honey locust, and primarily green and white ash. And um, with emerald ash borer, um, I want to say 99% of our ash are either you know declining um, or, or already gone. So... Yeah, here they're mostly gone. Do you guys have any sense of if the ash might come back, you know, just sprouting from from below and hoping that the pest is just move on to, you know, they move on to that fresh new ash forest? Or is there is it too early to even tell if we will get our ashes back? Yeah, that's uh, a lot of scientists are talking about this. Um, what what I think is a lot of native trees are actually going to grow back. Um, but the ash borer, emerald ash borer is still going to be around. Um, ash tend to need to be a certain diameter before they can re- before they really become infested. So I'm seeing a lot of regrowth of ash. You know, the when the trees died, they would sprout back a lot of times from the trunk. And in wild areas, I'm seeing lots of small ash. Uh, in fact, I, even on my own property, I have uh, ash trees, both green and white, uh, between two and four inch diameter that are still alive. So there is going to be food, a food source for emerald ash borer uh, in wild areas. And so these urban trees that are on the treatment program are going to need to be treated for, um, I think, for the rest of my career as an arborist. Um I think it's, it's purely, you know, speculation, anything can happen, but I think that they're, they're not going to go away. Uh, they will naturalize a little bit, which means their population is going to go way, way, way down because they've had so much food. They've been able to reproduce at such a, an exponential rate. But, um, so, but yeah, EAB and ash trees, if you're treating your ash and your ashes are still looking good, uh, stay on that two year treatment plan with, uh, with the emamectin benzoate. Uh, two-year, you know, trunk injection treatment. That's going to be required. The only thing, only thing that's going to save them. Absolutely. Uh, anything else on your list before we move on to a couple other topics? Well, um, I didn't talk about the oak. Uh, you know, we talked about the the elms and the maples, and you know, I don't want to leave the oaks out of the out of the question. Um, uh, the swamp white oak, um, and there's also a a hybridized oak 
that is a cross between swamp white and burr oak, which is called the Shuetti oak, S-C-H-U-E-T-T-I. And these trees, um, both the swamp white and the hybrid, the Shuettii, are very resistant to salt. So you mm-hmm. do see these oaks on boulevards, um, and they are native. You know, swamp white oaks are native here in Wisconsin, and so to be able to use a native species of tree, you know, in the streets is good uh, as well. So, how about things not to plant uh, near uh, areas that are going to get a lot of salt? Are there certain trees that are just like, don't put that one out there, man, because uh, it hates salt? Absolutely. Um, and that is going to be basically any any conifer. They just they don't like the salt. They don't like salt in the you know in the water in the root system. They also don't like salt spray on their foliage. Um, you know, white pine probably the very the absolute worst to any kind of contaminated environment. Um, even drainage, um, you know, conifers you know have to have adequate drainage at all times and, you know, absolutely no salt. So tell me a little bit about how you got into this. Why is this job right for you? Yeah, arborist, it is right for me. I've I've been an outdoorsman since I was a little kid. Um, And to be able to find a job that fits, you know, my personality and loving the outdoors, it's a huge bonus. And I guess I'd like to say this job found me. (laughs) Um, It was just like tree work, you know, arborist. Absolutely. That sounds fun, you know. And of course, after t- after a while, it becomes work. But <laughs> yeah, everything does work. Tree work is hard, hard work. Well, since it is such hard, hard work, why is it right for you? Well, I like physical activity. I like sports. Um, and you, you have to have, you have to be a, a strong soul to be working out in the cold in the winters and uh, to get, go through it. It takes a certain type of person to want to be out there looking up at a tree when it's two degrees, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> but there's a lot of people out there that it's a great job for. So, and they find the, you know, they find the career and they stick with it. How about a few of your favorite trees? Now we're getting to planting season. Let's forget about the salt for a little bit. Uh, you know, I certainly know from doing this podcast, you know, it's all dependent on the site. But are there is there anything on in your mind like when you start thinking things that are underused or things that you love uh, that it's exciting for you when you can get them uh, into a property? Uh, yes, there is. Um, some of the trees that I really really love tend to be the more rare, or or maybe they may be a little bit of fussy plants. Um, I love Canadian hemlock. Um, I just love their dark green foliage and they remind me of going up North when I was a kid because we have, uh, you know, a number of hemlocks near the property and I've always loved them. I try to grow them here. They don't do very well. Um, in our clay soil in Southern Wisconsin, I think they like a little bit more acid, um, a little bit better drainage. And I think a little bit, a cooler, cooler growing season. You know, here in Pennsylvania, we're under attack. You know, hemlocks are a big part of our forest, and we're under attack by hemlock woolly adelgid. And my property in particular probably has 
uh, I would guess 50, maybe a hundred hemlocks. And I'm working on it. I'm, but that's a lot of trees to have to treat. You know, that's an interesting choice for you. Have you had much success at all? Like you said, trying to get those hemlocks to do their thing. Um, I've had the ones that I have on my property. I have about five of them I planted about five years ago, and they they put on new growth every year. So I'm keeping them alive. <laughs> I've uh, I've amended the soil around them with sand and peat moss. Uh, to kind of help with drainage and have a little bit kind of a more loamy soil structure and I to help, incre- you know, decrease the soil pH. Because where I live, uh, the soil pH is extremely, extremely high, very alkaline. There's something about people that love plants, that they always want to grow something that isn't just exactly right for their area. You know, whether it's a hemlock you a fig tree for me whatever it might be or you know what i have right next to my hemlocks some rhododendron (laughs) acid loving flowering shrubs you know that they can't get too wet they can't get too dry you know they can't get too much sun you know broadleaf evergreens are one of the fussiest plants because you know they have their foliage all winter and if we have harsh winters which we have harsh winters every single year you know, they, they curl up, they don't look good. So yeah, the fussy plants. Uh, yeah. Uh, here in our climate, they are the stars of the garden about the third week of May. So I don't know when they would bloom for you guys, maybe a little later or around that time. It, the, these last, I want to say five years have been pretty different from one another. Um, we've had some pretty early springs um, and some pretty late springs, but right around then, yes. Uh, is when I would have them about May 15th or the last week in May. All right, Dan, I'm going to leave it right there. That's good stuff. Uh, especially for all of us that live with the impending doom of snow and salt on its way. <laughs> Appreciate your time and the information. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking forward to winter at all. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. And do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. We're having so much fun here. Next week, we've got planting secrets from an arborist and the answer to the question, why doesn't my hydrangea bloom? That is the number one gardening question. As always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.